and never tan, so I'm thankful for that, even though it's hard to breathe. <laughs> um, would you guys stand with us, and we're going to pray before we get started. Lord, I just thank you for this morning, God. I thank you um, that we're able to gather all together for one service, Lord, and that it's not insanely hot today, God, and um, I just thank you for your word and for your body that gets to be just here and rejoice in you together and and bring your name glory this morning. God, I pray that we would be a blessing to our neighbors here in the apartments, Lord, and I pray that you would just use us mightily in this town um, as your church, God, in your name, amen.
God, I pray that we would continue to sing of it all the days of our lives, Lord. And this morning, as Jesse brings us your word, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today, God. In your name, amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Good morning. Let me turn on here in a moment. I want to say, Jesus. Good to have you guys here. Um, if I have not met you yet, man, every single week there are just so many people. I don't know if you're visiting. Visiting. I don't know if you've moved here. Um, I don't know who you are, but my name is Jesse, and we're really glad to have you here. Uh, for the most part, I get the great privilege of teaching God's Word and, and uh, just love being a part of this church family. Even over the last year, as hard as it has been, uh, God has been good in it, and just so many great stories of how God's been working in your guys' lives and and all of that. So thank you for being here. If you are new, um, I want to encourage you to do a couple different things. Uh, one is download our app. It's SBC Truckee. Uh, you can get that on any of your mobile devices. That has our worship lyrics on there. It has our past sermons on there. It has devotions on there. Our newsletter and all the things that we have going on uh, are on there. You can take notes on there. There's a Bible app on there. All of that's built into uh, that app. And so make sure you take an opportunity for that you can give online there as well and uh, that newsletter you can sign up for that on there as well we send that out once a week tells you all the things uh, that we have going on so a couple things we do have going on want to make you aware we are planning to go back to two services uh, September 5th we're going to move back inside and so if you're wondering when's that going to happen that's when we're doing it and, and you may ask well how come in September why not later uh, the big reason is it's just this is a ton of work for us to do we're basically a mobile church and all of our volunteers are taxed, and we don't need to be a mobile church. 
uh, but we I know many of you love being out here, and it's been great. So uh, heads up for that. And then a um, couple events to be aware of. The women's retreats dates are the 24th through the 26th. Uh, so ladies, if you want to sign up for that, uh, that, that's when that's happening. And then we're also doing a financial peace university class. If you're not familiar with that, it's just a great program on how to manage your money. If you ever feel or if you've ever felt like you like, how do I do this well? How do I glorify God in this well? And, and the Bible has a lot to say about finances. It's a great class to take. My wife and I took it uh, years ago, and it's it's paid uh, in dividends. So, and then lastly, um, Mike Harrison is going to share with you uh, for some of some of you who want to take part in what he's calling SWAT. And Mike, yeah, welcome up, Mike. Mike also does um, uh, our MAGS groups which is our men's account accountability group. So if you're a guy and you're wanting to get plugged in uh, to some groups uh, and, and with some guys, uh, connect with him afterwards. He'll, he'll tell you where to go. So hopefully this one's hot. Can we check, get that one hot? Check one. All right. Hi, guys. So uh, real quick, uh, when we moved here uh, about seven years ago, my wife and I, we met with Pastor Wayne, and uh, he encouraged me to be in the Word, and he, and he exhorted me through a scripture, Hebrews 4.12. And I had memorized scripture back in high school and college and have since or since then I would kind of just did not uh, carry on that spiritual discipline but on the way home I was like I'm going to memorize that and that ignited a a spark that was a spark that ignited a fire to memorize God's word and he gave me a just a burden to share with you with Christians with believers the the importance of memorizing uh, the word you know we have so uh, so so SWAT. Yeah, I have uh, information booth there. There's these cards. It just gives a little description, but also my information. I really want every single one of you to join spiritual warfare attack team. It's a Bible memorization club, but SWAT sounded a lot better. And so, <laughs> so yeah, spiritual warfare. That's just one of the reasons we know that when Jesus was led into the desert, he he came out. And he was tempted. How did he respond? He responded with the word of God. He said in Matthew 4, 4, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we need to get our bread every single day. We can't just get it here on Sundays. We need it every day. You know, Peter tells us uh, to that, that, that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Paul tells us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's and so when we have the word of God in our heart, that is how we can attack and that we have the sword of the spirit and it, it doesn't belong in the sheath. It, we, it sharpens. We need to sharpen each other. And that's through memorization of the scripture, I believe. You know, Peter says in Second uh, Peter 3, 17 and 18, he says, you know, he talks about false teaching in Second Peter. And it's all we're surrounded by the error of lawless men. And he says to be on your guard grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And growing in grace and knowledge comes through reading this word. This thing will change your life. It has absolutely changed my life, and I want it for every single one of you. And so memorizing scripture, it's like intimidating, right? Oh, where do I start? Or people say, oh, I've, I've done it before. I'm not good at it. You know, that's for you, good for you, but I just, I just can't do it. But please come talk to me. I want to teach you how to do it. I want to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to let's join together in, in, in exhorting each other for the importance of knowing his word and, and, and being able to recall it. First Peter 3.15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give you a reason for the hope and, so to, and to do it with gentleness and respect. Knowing his word, if it's on your heart, the, the scripture I chose for this uh, SWAT team is Psalm 119.11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. When it's in your heart, it's with you everywhere you go. The words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart is pleasing when you're meditating on it, just like Joshua said in 1.8. So I'll leave this, this last verse. It's uh, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. It says, and this is my prayer for you. I keep asking that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the saints and his incomparably great power that is for us who believe. And I want that for every one of you. So I want, I want to fill this list. Here's this, uh, 
sign-up sheet, it, uh, it's super low-key. I, I, I just want to teach you how, and I want to do it together with you. Um, let me just say one more thing. This, um, this isn't the, I didn't remember. I do it. have to preach at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, j- just the first part, Chuck Swindoll has an amazing quote. Look it up. He says this, I know of no other single practice in the Christian life that's more rewarding, practically speaking, than memorizing scripture. No other single discipline and use is more useful and rewarding than this. And it goes on, and it's awesome. But really what's awesome is what's in this. The architect of life, he designed us. He's given us the blueprints. We just get to follow them. Christianity is not a religion for that we uh, have to. It's a get to. We get to obey. And we get to follow the word. So let's do it together. I want to meet all of you. I'll be back over by the benches over there. and We'll do it. Thank right, you. Thank you, Mike. He's excited. I don't know if you can tell. But seriously, uh, it's super low-key, but everybody needs to go. Okay? It's, it'll be awesome. No, seriously, I think you should check it out. Um, hey, would you do me a favor? Colossians chapter 1, uh, we're going to read from that. And uh, we love God's word here. We, we appreciate it, and we believe it's him speaking. And so we have a practice here to stand during the reading of his word. And so if you would stand with me, if you're able to this morning, That would be great as we read from Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The title of the message this morning is His His Cosmos or Our Chaos. His Cosmos or Our Chaos. Let's start verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything he might be, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of God. Of his cross. Lord, we trust you that your word will be effective in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, we all say, Amen. Please be seated. Um, this is so cool. Super late front row seat. Love it. Um, for, first row parking. Good morning. Um, so uh, let, me, let me just ask a couple questions here in advance. Now we get to watch them how not to park. <laughs> so uh, there, I think all of us probably have had times in our lives where, where we're not anchored that our life is filled with chaos. I can think of moments in my life before really choosing to follow the Lord where there were moments where it felt like my universe was falling apart. Uh, maybe some of you, that, that was you before you came to a saving faith in Christ, that your world was not founded or grounded. I don't know what maybe that looks like for you. Maybe it was a time uh, in addiction, or maybe it was a time when some loved one passed away. Maybe it was something else that I'm not even thinking of. And really, this passage gives us, gives us that, that God holds all things together in the midst of the cosmos. And I want this morning, hopefully, the goal is to get us more rooted and anchored in his cosmos that he holds together rather than in our own chaos. And the way that we're going to understand this is kind of threefold. We're going to see that Jesus is the full image of God. That will be number one. That he is the firstborn of all creation. That's number two. And third, that our chaos can become his cosmos. Let's talk about the image of God. It's, it's right here. The statement that Jesus is the image of God. Now, remember what's happening in Colossae. In Colossae at this time, uh, basically the church was planted by a guy named Epaphras, who was a disciple of Paul's. Paul is in prison at the time, and he in his church in Colossae, the chur- a, p- a church Paul's never been to, Epaphras goes to Paul and says, hey, listen, this church has been planted. It's being affected in these ways. Would you please help counsel me, guide me, and guide the church 
that we would be rooted in the centrality of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel. And so Paul writes this letter to Colossians, in effect, to, to share with the church, you don't need a deeper Greek philosophy, you don't need anything else other than Jesus, and don't mix your Jesus with other stuff. And so Paul is attempting in the entirety of Colossians to say that the Bible is all about Jesus, that everything is all about Jesus. In fact, the Old Testament prepares us for the coming of Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, we have what is called by theologians the Proto-Evangelium. The Proto-Evangelium, it literally means, the, in Greek, it means the first good news. It's good news, and the good news is this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Now, remember what happened in Genesis earlier. Adam and Eve sinned. Shame entered their lives. Their world falls apart. It's now chaos for Adam and Eve, and they are kicked out of the garden, and God speaks to Satan, the serpent, who, who caused them to fall, and this is what he says. The Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he, speaking of Jesus, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel, speaking of his death. So we have the first good news all the way back in the beginning of Genesis. Then the Gospels explain to us what is happening with Jesus Christ, his coming, his life, his death, his resurrection. Now, can we just, just kind of explain here for just a few moments the importance of the centrality of the Gospels, that we have to read the Gospels? I mean, if you're new in your faith at all, if you want to know anything about Christianity at all, just start in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll share with you an interesting story. We'll get to it a little bit more in a moment. But Paul tells the Colossian church that he's the image of God, that he bears the mark of God, he is God, and that he is the Lord of all, both visible and invisible, that which is seen and that which is unseen. So the Bible tells us there's things we see, he's the Lord of all of that, there's things that are unseen, and he's the Lord of that, and that includes the demonic spiritual realm as well. When I was in, a, in school for ministry down in San Diego, um, I was down on, uh, I think it was Ocean Beach, if you're familiar with the area. And I was hanging out there with a buddy of mine, and I had uh, my shirt off because that's what you do at the beach. And, and on my back is a tattoo of the Trinity. And a gal was walking by, and she saw the tattoo, and she said to me, what is that? I said, oh, that's, that's the Trinity. It's the symbol of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And she said, no, it isn't. I said, well, it is. And she was carrying with her a big stack of books. And then come to find out, in this stack of books, she, she had planned out only how 144,000 people were going to go to heaven. And as, all of it was, was biblical stuff that she had in her hands. And the next thing you know, she tells me, she tells me that she is the bride of Christ. To which I responded, yeah, yeah, the whole church is the bride of Christ. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm the bride of Christ. To which we started to have a little bit further conversation, trying to figure out where she's coming from, what kind of rela relationship does she have with God, how religious is she. And then, and then all of a sudden, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but we were going to talk about in this moment I, I, I realized if I was going to get to this, this gal, we needed to go to the Gospels. And so I told her, I said to her, let's go to the Gospels and look at what Jesus says about the Gospels. I had my Bible with me. Again, I'm in a school of ministry, and so I, I just carried my Bible everywhere we went. That's just how it rolled. And this is what she said to me. Her tone changed. And then she said, we refuse to go to the Gospels which the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I said, what? We refuse to go to the Gospels. And from that point forward, she no longer referred to herself as, as her or I, but we and they. And after a while of trying to press towards the gospel, she ended up running away from us. And I remember in that moment realizing the reason that this woman, who I believe was filled with demons, refused to go to the Gospels is because the Gospels 
carry the power of salvation in God. The Gospels scare demons. The Gospel scares Satan. The person of Jesus Christ carries all of the power in the world. And this passage gives us the clearest view of who Jesus is. And once we go from the Gospels into the epistles, which explain the theology and doctrine of what has come from his coming, and then Revelation shows us Christ on the throne at the end that he wins, even in this chaotic world, we as Christians are not disrupted, but anchored into the cosmos of Christ because we know that the battle has already been won and, and that Jesus is victorious, amen? And so Jesus actually literally says this to uh, some guys walking on the road after his resurrection that, that he walks through Moses and the prophets and he interprets all of the scripture in Luke 24, 27, and he explains how all of these things are concerning himself. Now we have a couple things in regards to the image of God and who Jesus is today and what was happening there as well in Colossae. In Colossae, there was some philosophy out there that Jesus was not flesh, that Jesus was actually just another angel. He was just another spirit that came from God. There was a thinking that material was evil, and so if it was physical, it should not uh, be. It would not be good. Therefore, since material is is bad, Jesus was not materialistic. Uh, Jesus, in fact, in Colossae, including today, that you needed a higher secret knowledge. Jesus was not sufficient for salvation. There was the idea of syncretism, which is borrowing from other religious ideas and teachings and bringing them in. And then there was also this idea of stoicism that existed as well. Are you familiar with stoicism? A stoicism is kind of the idea that, that you kind of have a stiff upper lip. You hold everything together yourself. And the idea with stoicism is you carry virtue and knowledge and self-control. You, through self-control and discipline, can make life work. Have you ever felt that way? And Paul's whole idea here is like, absolutely not. Stoicism won't work for you, only the one who holds it together for you. And, and the, the reality is, is that you and I, we kind of don't like this idea. If we're honest, the world doesn't like this idea of that Jesus is the only image of God. What culture wants is that you, and sometimes Christians do the same thing, I don't want to make God into the image that Scripture has, but I actually want to make God into the image that I want him to be in. Do you know what one of the first commandments is? The second commandment in the Bible, make no graven image. Don't make a graven image. You know what, it, that word image is icon. It all, uh, the, the, another word that comes from, from that word image is imagination. Do, do not, the second commandment is, do not imagine God to be what he is not. And even through the Reformation, there was an idea from, uh, from the reformers that said, don't put any images in church at all. Right? The reformers were breaking from the Catholic Church. And if you've ever been to a Catholic Church, you know they're filled with all kinds of icons and images. And so, so what happened is the reformers said, let's just get rid of all of the images altogether. Because whenever you make an image of God, you actually conceal who God is more than you reveal who God is. Right? The idea of a white, a white picture Jesus that all of us have in our minds doesn't give us the full picture of who Jesus is. Right at moments, Jesus is compassionate and he's loving and he's on his knees and he's picking up the lame and the blind and the deaf or the prostitute. At other times, he's stern and he's filled with rebuke. Right, which Jesus do you want? So, so when when Aaron builds the golden calf, it doesn't reveal who God is; it actually conceals who God is. One author says, "You mustn't worship the true God." And imagine him to be what you prefer him to be, but you must worship him as he has revealed himself to be. Have you ever said or come across somebody who said something like this? I could never believe in a God who would send people to hell. I can't believe in a God who would allow pain and suffering. I can't believe in a God, whatever reason. A and the reason for that is we want control. And, and what we're saying in that moment is, I would be a better God than God. If you've ever had those thoughts, it's because you have created in your mind an icon, you've made an idol, an image of what God is not. 
And so Paul is letting us know that if you want, if you really want your life to be rooted and anchored and not chaotic, you must not imagine God to be who he is not. You must allow God to be who he is. You must allow who he is to be weighty and to be heavy upon you. Ultimately, what he's saying here is to know God, the only way to know God is to know Jesus. Jesus is the icon of God. He's the image of God. So when God says, hey, listen, don't make any other, other little images of me. They're not sufficient. The only image of me that is perfect and right, the only image of me that should be worshipped is Jesus. He's the only image. Another pastor says what Colossians 1 is saying here, he's saying that Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of the nature and the glory of God, which means if you want to know God, who God is, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know how he'll respond to you, if you want to know what his tone is, and if you want to know what stirs up his anger in him and what extends his mercy, you have to look at the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know who God is, Jesus is the key. So again, when we say, when, when a new Christian comes to faith, when somebody who's exploring the faith and they say, where should I start? Don't start just in Genesis 1 because Jesus informs Genesis 1. Jesus informs Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Jesus informs Daniel. Jesus informs all of the Bible. Where we must start is the gospel. Where we must start is Jesus. And here's the good news. You don't have to imagine or make up what God is like because God has given us the perfect picture of who he is. Part of that picture, this is point two. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, I don't know how many of you are really thoroughly like good at reading your Bible or understanding it. Obviously, Mike wants to help you with that. But, you know, if I'm honest, when I read that, that verse and I go, he's the firstborn of creation, I wrestle with what that means. Like, if I, especially as a new Christian, if I was a new Christian, if I was new to the faith and, and I'm reading this, he's the firstborn of all creation. What does this mean? What does this mean? Is, the, is we the firstborn created? That's not what it is. And we have to do a little bit of theological work and a little bit of history and context to understand what it means. But in the Bible, when firstborn of creation is used, it's used over about 130 times, it always refers to status and power. Not that he's the firstborn, but status and power. What he's saying, what Paul's saying, another way to translate this would be, is Jesus has all of the power and all of the inheritance from God the Father. Because in the Jewish culture, the firstborn received all of the inheritance. Right? If you had a son and he was the first guy, he got everything. If you had another son, <laughs> the firstborn gets it all. And so what he's saying is Jesus is God's firstborn, and he and he alone has all of the inheritance. But the good news is, is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are folded into Christ as a child of God. And then the Bible goes on to say that the same inheritance that Jesus has, we will receive as well. We become legitimate children of God. And what's interesting about all of this is he tells us that as the God of all things, if you know, the, the, again, the title of the message, Cosmos, he is the Lord over all, the visible and the invisible. He is God of nature people, animals, and all of the demonic realm. In nature, we're to enjoy it, but never worship it. Right? It really, what, what's being said here is, is Colossae, Sierra Bible Church Christian community, are you going to allow your life to orbit around the person of Jesus Christ or something else? Are you going to allow your schedule to orbit around the sun or something else? Are you going, if you're going to have a good marriage, it has to orbit around Jesus Christ. If you're going to be good at parenting, that has to orbit around the person of Jesus Christ. There is a natural way that God has designed the world that it will never be. You know, you know how I know that? If I take a 10-pound rock today and I look at it tomorrow, how many pounds will it be? 10 pounds. Right? When you look at the world, you go, hey, if the earth is just a little off this way or a little off this way, we're not here because he holds it all together. 
So he's saying, listen, the scientists don't even understand fully how molecules work and how they're not all flying around. Why, why have we not been struck by a huge comet and totally wiped out? Because he's holding it all together. He's the God of nature. Only God can hold all of the complexity of the cosmos and anchor it because of the power that he has and ensure that you and I don't go flying off of the planet or that we're not frozen. Or that, and, and we can trust that God is the God of all of nature. When he calms the storm in the Gospels with his disciples, one of the disciples literally says, who is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? We see in the Bible that God is in control of disease. Luke 17, 10. Ten lepers come to Jesus. I want you to understand something about this because, first of all, I think it's apropos in the season that we're in that God is the God of COVID and it obeys and bends to his will. Do you understand that? It is not out of, like when someone's, it's all out of control. It's in control. You've just forgotten who is in control. So God holds all of these things together. Ten lepers come to him. And just so you know, leprosy in the Bible was far, far worse than COVID-19. Far, far worse than the Delta variant. Because a leper, when he got leprosy, was outcasted out of the community and not allowed to be around anybody else. You could not touch him. You could not look at him. He was isolated. He was quarantined and placed off to the side. Ten lepers come to him. Jesus heals all ten of them. This is in Luke 17, by the way. And just, just to give you a picture of the ingratitude in which people show towards Jesus and the gospel, do you know how many, how, how many of them came back to him? One. And here's what's interesting. The text actually gives us an insight. He comes back. He praises God with a loud voice. He falls down at his feet, and he gives him thanks. And then there's this caveat that's added in Luke 17. Now, he was a Samaritan. The dude wasn't even a, a he, he wasn't part of the religious right group. He wasn't a Jew. The one guy who comes and gives thanks is the one who doesn't really know how the church should be run. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to put my life in your life. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to allow my life to be orbited around you. He's the God of nature, God of disease. He's the God of the demonic realm. All of the cosmos is in his hands. Listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says, very similar to Colossians. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and making purifications for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's the contrast in Hebrews. The contrast of Hebrews is he holds the cosmos in his hands by the word of his power. And what I find interesting is he then contrasts that with the forgiveness of your sins. Which is letting us know something is some theologians have called sin cosmic treason. That to sin against God is to sin against a cosmic God. And that our sin is as complicated and as ugly and is filled with as much defilement as big as the cosmos is. And God's letting us know that it takes just as much power to hold the universe together as it took for the power of the cross to forgive you of your sins. Have you ever thought about that for a moment, that your sin is as big as the cosmos, but his forgiveness is bigger than the cosmos? Come on. Someone's got to be saying, Hallelujah. You got to get a little soul filled on something like that. You got to you got to clap. You got to you got to rejoice. You got to say God is amazing. This is why we worship him. He includes in addition to that that the, he's the God of the seen and the unseen, but also he says he's the God of all thrones. He's the God of our president. He's the God of all of the dictators. Of the, he's, he allows men to be raised up, the Bible says, and he takes them down. And what Paul is actually doing is he's taking a jab at Caesar here. And he's saying, you know, don't worship Caesar. Don't run after Caesar. 
but run after God. He changes times and seasons, Daniel says. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. John Piper words it like this. All things were created for him. All things came into being that exist for Christ. That is, it exists to display all things exist to display the greatness of Christ. Nothing, nothing in the universe, nothing in the universe, even COVID, even the politics that exist in our country, nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Everything from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator, everything exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you, even the person you have the hardest time liking. Isn't that good news too? Piper's got a great book. I think we might have a few copies in the store called Spectacular Sins. One of, the, one of the pictures he gives in that book is of Jacob being sold into slavery, his brothers coming back, his brother sold him into slavery. Long story short, he ends up the second in command of Egypt, and his brothers come back to him years later, and they're now apologetic. They can't believe what they've done. And his words are this, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. God uses suffering, he uses chaos to bring us back into his cosmos. So now, because this is true, because these things are true, that he is the perfect icon of God, he is the perfect image of God, how do we allow our chaos to fold into his cosmos? Here's number one. The first point would be that all of, com- all of God's commands should be celebrated and obeyed. But he's the Lord of all. There's a design to things. In the Bible, even its commands gives us the design to life. If you do these things, these things will most likely work out this way. He has laid out his design for us and how the world works. David in Psalm 119, in verse 16, similar to what Mike was reading earlier, he says, I will delight in your statutes and I will not forget your word. I just saw a Bible um, statistic this week. Uh, from the American Bible Society. This is an interesting statistic. Over half of U.S. adults today, 54%, believe that America would be worse off without the Bible. And what's interesting about that, that's a 6% increase from last year. Well, COVID this, COVID that, hey, 6%. You know what's happened throughout history of the church? The Christianity's kind of done this. 2020 has created for people a desire for the transcendent. Science has failed on so many levels to give us the true factual deal. And I only say that because we're so divided and we've all got our Google, right? Google told me this. Well, Google told me that. And now people are realizing I can't trust all of the experts. I can't trust the internet. You know what you can trust? The word of God that has stood for century after century. It is the only book in which has stood the test of time. It is the only book that has stood the test of tribulation, hardship, and my friends, as we enter into whatever the next season is, because right now I think you and I know that the next season isn't necessarily looking brighter. In fact, I saw there's like a 20-point 20, a 20 drop amongst Democrats and Republicans for what they believe is the optimistic view of, of, of what's happening with our country. Basically, what the article has stated is that there's a 20-point drop between all parties, that they are not as optimistic about where the country is going as they were last year when Biden was first elected. Now, I'm not getting political to tell you which way I lean and which way I don't lean. I'm telling you that I know exactly where we're supposed to be. I know exactly where we get rid of the chaos in this world. The church becomes the cosmos that orbits itself around Jesus Christ, and we land in a place where people find stability in the midst while everyone else is falling apart. 
We're the light of the world. So we orbit ourselves around the word of God in regards to what it says about marriage, sex, finances, politics, parenting, leisure, work. All of it goes back to God's rule and God's sovereignty. Can I just push a little further and say what the church needs today is a greater view of the providence of God. A greater view of his city. And when you lower the view of God's sovereignty down, you know what comes? Anxiety. Anxiousness. And depression. Job 42, verse 2, in the midst of Job going through the worst persecution that we could probably ever go through in the Bible that we could see, he says this, God, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heavens and amongst the inhabitants of the earth, both seen and unseen, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Do you realize how in control God has been in the last year? Fully. Do you know who's going to be in control next year? God. Not you. Not the politicians. Not the scientists. God. And all of us, if we allow ourselves to be orbited around who Christ is, God will be glorified. His will will be done. With your, the, the idea here is either you, you get to do it voluntarily or it's just going to happen the way he wants it to happen regardless. So here's the deal. We need to have a high view of God's scripture, a high view of his providence, a high view of his sovereignty. Because he is the Lord of Lord, because he is the perfect image of God, we must obey all of his commands. The second one is you have to have a right view of materialism. Right? What was happening in Colossae is a wrong view of materialism. All of possessions are bad, therefore they should be gotten rid of. But when we have the right view of God as cosmos, all that you own and possess is not yours, it's his, and it frees you to use your stuff, including finances, your car, and your house for God's glory and the service of others. We should be marked as the most generous group of people on the planet. Christians should be marked as always giving things away, not holding on to anything, but having the right view of materialism. And then number three, our faith should be taken more seriously. I've been saying it throughout the whole sermon, but I have to encourage and maybe rebuke some of you that your life now needs to be orbited around Christ fully. Let me ask you a question. How do you coordinate your day? How do you coordinate your week? How do you coordinate your month? If Jesus is not involved in the calendar, there's a problem. If Jesus is not involved in the way you handle your finances, there, there's a problem. You have to take this seriously. Your, your life, everything you do should orbit around Christ. So, so for those of you who, who, who are like, you know, I'm doing a lot of different things on Sunday, I just got to say, one of the reasons God has planted a most holy day during the week on a Sunday is for us to be reminded that our week needs to start with Jesus. That we've got to make time to say it's important that we show the world around us that nothing keeps us from worshiping the only one who's worthy of worship. How, how dare we not orbit our week around Christ and orbit around whatever the nature may bring or whatever, whatever things are out there that are distracting. The, there is so much for you to do. You got six Days to basically live for God's glory, and the seventh is a day to set aside and be with your church family and orbit your life around Jesus and say, He is worth being here. And you know what happens? It stinks, man. It just absolutely stinks for me because, because somehow in the communication of this, it gets wrapped up in, oh, well, the church as an entity is trying to build its own little kingdom, or the pastor just wants to have more people at church because it feeds his ego. Absolutely not. This is the word of God. This is Jesus speaking. He's not okay anywhere in Scripture with you going, you know where church is, man? It's just, it's in the mountains. No, it isn't. The church is not in the mountains. Hebrews tells us, 
do not forsake the gathering of the saints, which is the habit of some. You know what else is kind of hard when I say this? It says, don't forsake the gathering of the saints, which is the habit of some. The some aren't here this morning. <laughs> so I'm preaching to the choir, maybe. Or maybe this is the first time you've been here in two months, and you're like, whoa, he's talking about me. Yeah, I am. I am. Lastly, you have to make Jesus the goal. Take your life seriously, but you've got to make him the goal. He has to be the end all. You can't come to Jesus for a good marriage. You can't come to Jesus to feel more confident. You have to come to Jesus because he's the goal. One pastor says, is your life, this is where I got the title from, cosmos or chaos? Let me just ask you that question. Is your life cosmos or is it chaos? Look at your own life, not everyone else's, not your neighbor's. Look at you. It's between you and the Lord. Is your life cosmos, fits together, there's an order to it, or is it chaotic? Is it falling apart? What Paul's saying is this, to the degree you have your life under the kingship of Christ, to that degree, your life will be held together. And to the degree that you are not under the lordship of Christ and not under his mastery and not under his obedience, to that degree, your life will fall apart. Do you hear what he, the author's saying? To the degree that you are submissive to Christ and his commandments, because of what he has done for you on the cross, your life will be more cosmos. But if you go outside of God's commandments, your life will be chaos. Another way to ask this question is when trials come, do you fall apart or do you hold together? Because there is always going to be chaos around us, but we orbit not around the chaos of the world, but around the steadfastness of Jesus. Rosaria Butterfield calls this kind of relationship with God in her recent book, Openness Unhindered. When we make God Lord, we come to him with openness that is unhindered. She goes on and says, this implies we're holding nothing back from God. The God who made us and will take care of us, we give him our hearts, we give him our desires, we give him our hopes, our dreams, our struggles, our doubts, our fears. We give him our identity. It means we are wide open to God with complete intimacy and trust. If there is a place in your life that is chaotic right now, just answer the question, is it because Jesus is the center of that thing? Or is Jesus somewhere over here and you're here and so you're all wobbly and your planet is all out of wonk? Is your marriage struggling? How obedient are you to Christ? Are your kids totally disruptive? Do you hate your job? Do you loathe your existence? Are you filled with addictive tendencies? Well, Paul's answer to the Colossians is really, really quite simple. You have allowed your life to orbit around something else other than Jesus. And this morning, it's the encouragement that we would come together as a church, as Christians, and look at the perfect image of God, which is Jesus, the firstborn of all creation who has lordship over all, and we allow our lives to orbit around the person of God and God alone. And that person is Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, your word is good. It is sufficient. It is powerful. And I trust this morning, Lord, that you would do a great work in everyone's life here this morning as we close in worship. I also pray, Lord, that those who, who maybe are those kind of individuals who can't make church every Sunday for whatever reason, that they would not feel condemnation, Lord, because that doesn't come from you, but they would feel encouragement that they just want, that, Lord, that, that you just want more of them and you want to fill them with more of your peace. I pray, Lord, as even Mike shared, I want everyone to have this. I pray everyone within earshot would have this relationship. 
I pray that those who can hear me in the apartment complex would come to saving faith if they have not already, that those who are visiting would come to saving faith if they are not already, Lord, that, that they would give themselves their hopes, their desires, their marriages, their parenting, their jobs, that they give it to you and say, Lord, be the center of all. Be the center of all, Lord. And we trust you for it in Jesus' name. The church said. Amen. We're just going to sing a couple more songs in closing.
Hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next Sunday.